This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, for the first time in over 40 years, the U.S. will send a nuclear-armed submarine to dock in South Korea. It's part of an agreement to deter North Korea's nuclear threat. We hear from an expert on what all this means. The ball is in the Democrats' court after the GOP passes their debt ceiling bill in the House. Raising the debt limit is a recurring issue. Is there a long-term solution? Unaccompanied children at the southern border. What happens to them and where do they end up? We have testimony from a congressional hearing. A Grammy-winning Fuji's rapper is convicted in federal court. He was charged with working on behalf of China and a Malaysian businessman to influence the U.S. government. And Tucker Carlson breaks his silence, and he chose to do it on Twitter. Will it be the platform the popular TV personality uses to reach his viewers? Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Tiffany Meyer in for Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, April 27th. It's almost the weekend, Tiff, but not yet. We got a big news day. Security in East Asia, debt ceiling coverage. We definitely have a lot of news, and while you're getting ready or commuting to work, we'll keep you updated. Topping the news today is a move the U.S. has not taken in over 40 years. President Biden announced a new agreement with South Korea, vowing to deter nuclear threats from communist-controlled North Korea. NTD's Iris Tao was at the Rose Garden for yesterday's press conference. The U.S. and South Korea announcing a key new agreement on Wednesday to deter rising threats from North Korea. As part of the pledge, the U.S. will send nuclear submarines to South Korea for the first time in 40 years. Our mutual defense treaty is ironclad. They're particularly important in the face of DPRK's increased threats. The announcement marks the climax of a six-day state visit to the U.S. by South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol. And as the two reaffirm what they call... A value alliance that is strong, resilient and sustainable. President Biden delivers a blunt warning to North Korea, saying a nuclear attack will result in the end of whatever regime were to take such an action. And in return for the submarines, South Korea is reaffirming its commitment to not develop its own nuclear weapons. Meanwhile, the move to strengthen alliance with South Korea comes as the Biden administration is pivoting to focus more on the Indo-Pacific region, especially as China is expanding its influence and increasingly posing threats to Taiwan. We discussed our work together on promoting peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. And joining us now for analysis on this latest move to deter North Korea's nuclear threat is Rick Fisher, a senior fellow on Asian military affairs at the International Assessment and Strategy Center. Rick, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tiffany. So with this announcement yesterday between Biden and his South Korean counterpart to dock a nuclear-armed submarine for the first time in over 40 years in South Korea to deter North Korea, North Korea what do you make of this? What is the significance here? Tiffany, 40 years when we occasionally docked a, a nuclear ballistic missile submarine in a South Korean port as a symbol of deterrence, uh, the United States had 
tactical nuclear artillery shells, tactical nuclear bombs on uh, in South Korea. Uh, we had uh, nuclear weapons stationed in Japan and in Guam. Uh, and North Korea had no nuclear weapons. North Korea only had the vague assurance from Russia and uh, barely from China that uh, there would be nuclear retaliation in the case of uh, an American use of nuclear weapons. Today, the balance is completely reversed. North Korea has multiple uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles to uh, strike the United States and has just revealed that it is now building eight, eight different tactical nuclear weapons. Uh, President Yoon wanted the de redeployment of American tactical nuclear weapons to South Korea. And that is exactly what was needed to increase our deterrence of North Korea and China. Uh, it is time for the United States to revive its tactical nuclear arsenal, its regional nuclear arsenal, and that is how we deter war on the Korean Peninsula and on the Taiwan Strait. And Rick, given this shift in balance, what has changed over the years? What is maybe China's role in all of this? In my opinion, uh, China has been intimately involved with North Korea over the last 15 years, turning that just sorry, awful state into a nuclear missile power. Uh, it has just tested an ICBM, a solid fuel ICBM, that in my opinion is probably a copy of a Chinese ICBM. And for the last decade, the United States really has not sanctioned China for what in essence is a uh, very hostile act against the United States arming North Korea with nuclear weapons technology and missile technology. And given all these movements and aggressions in that region particularly, how likely is there for an actual nuclear war? There is more a potential for a nuclear incident, uh, for North Korea either testing a large nuclear weapon in the atmosphere, or perhaps uh, a, a, even a tactical nuclear strike against South Korea that would then divert the United States so that China would have a freer hand to invade Taiwan. Uh, that's the real danger here. And that's why the United States needs to redeploy tactical nuclear weapons to South Korea to truly deter, to truly assure the North Korean government that if they use their nuclear weapons, they will be obliterated. That is really, uh, it's, it's, it's a Neanderthal level of logic, but we're dealing with Neanderthals in North Korea. Well, Rick Fisher, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you, Tiffany. In domestic affairs, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was able to get his debt ceiling bill past the lower chamber yesterday. The bill includes an array of spending cuts. President Biden has signaled he will veto it if it makes it past the Democrat-led Senate. The debt limit is a problem Congress has to solve year after year. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on a possible long-term solution. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy looked to force Democrats' hands on negotiations on Wednesday. We lifted the debt limit. We've sent it to the Senate. We've done our job. 
Republicans' bill to raise the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion includes multiple cuts to federal spending. It stands little chance of passing in the Democrat-controlled Senate. Economist and financial advisor David Bonson says the bill's passage gives McCarthy leverage at the bargaining table. Now at this point, politically, if that deal's rejected, it isn't the Republicans not raising the debt limit, it becomes the White House. Bonson says while raising the debt ceiling is something that has to be done, political polarization is what's exacerbating the situation. We have two political parties that whenever they are in charge, run up the national debt. And so this is not a um, one-party problem, it's a two-party problem. And um, unfortunately, uh, myself as a movement conservative, even the Republicans only get real serious and motivated about debt when there's a Democrat as president. Bonson thinks ultimately it's up to the American people to address the debt crisis in being specific in what they want when electing officials. But really the bulk of our spending is in the growing welfare state. And I think that's the issue the American people are going to have to address. NTD's Melina Wisecup spoke with Congressman Tom Cole, chairman of the House Rules Committee, to get his perspective. Eventually, we're going to have to deal with the real drivers of spending. And frankly, 60% uh, of all federal spending is Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. If you throw in interest at the debt, you're about at 70. Uh, and, and nobody touches those things. And I'm not arguing you should slash them, but you're going to have to look at reforming them. Ronald Reagan did this and extended the life of Social Security by 50 years. So you can be a good conservative and still work on these programs. But you have to have a willing partner. The White House said Tuesday that President Biden will veto McCarthy's Limit, Save, Grow Act if it reaches his desk. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The Biden administration continues to face scrutiny over the crisis at the southern border. Witnesses spoke out on the exploitation of unaccompanied children at a House hearing yesterday. Here's the summary. Tara Rodas is a whistleblower from the Health and Human Services Department. She testified at Wednesday's hearing that she discovered the abuse when volunteering at an emergency intake site in California. I thought I was going to help place children in loving homes. Instead, I discovered that children are being trafficked through a sophisticated network that begins with recruiting in home country, smuggling to the U.S. border, and ends when ORR delivers a child to a sponsor. Some sponsors are criminals and traffickers and members of transnational criminal organizations. Some sponsors view children as commodities and assets to be used for earning income. This is why we are witnessing an explosion of labor trafficking. Rhoda says the children end up in the hands of human traffickers because the vetting process for sponsors is practically non-existent. She also noted that over 85,000 follow-up calls for these children went unanswered since the start of the Biden administration. Now, the administration is really, we're engaged in creating slavery. slavery. We are trafficking slaves to this country. Absolutely. There is no doubt we have created a pull. And because these, this criminal element tragically views children as a commodity, we... They see us as the middleman because we're paying the flight directly to the end user, the trafficker. Sheena Rodriguez, founder and president of Alliance for a Safe Texas, testified she's met children like these in Texas. They come with these small little pieces of paper with handwritten numbers on them. They're told, uh, from what they tell me, um, of who their sponsors are going to be, that this is their, a lot of them is their tío, um, like their uncle, their, their mother or their father that they've never met. 
Lawmakers from both parties acknowledged the seriousness of the issue and vowed to look for solutions. You can watch the full hearing on NTD News at ntd.com. Montana Republicans yesterday barred transgender lawmaker Zoe Zephyr from the House floor. The punishment is for the rest of the 2023 season. The move came in retaliation for her participation in a protest after a vote to bar cross-sex procedures for children. It was the first time in nearly half a century that Montana lawmakers have sought to censure one of their own. It caps a week-long standoff between Zephyr and House Republican leaders. The move formalizes their decision to not let Zephyr speak since she made controversial remarks on the House floor. She will be able to vote and participate in committees, but will not be allowed to discuss proposals and amendments with the full House. After days of rebuffing her request to speak, Republican leaders granted Zephyr the opportunity to give a statement before they voted to penalize her yesterday. So when I rose up and said, there is blood on your hands, I was not being hyperbolic. Representative from House District Number 100 will no longer be admitted to this floor. This body holds dear the right to self-protection. And Kevin, authorities arrested seven people during protests on Monday in the Montana House. The demonstrations were protesting because Zephyr was not allowed to speak. That's after refusing to apologize for her controversial remarks. Zephyr's opponents say ensuring that government can conduct business without interruption is a critical precedent to set. And in North Dakota, the state has passed a new law on bathroom use based on gender. It limits access to bathrooms, locker rooms, and shower rooms for transgender people in several state facilities. The law affects college dorms and also applies to correctional facilities for youth and adults. Tucker Carlson breaks his silence. He broadcast a monologue from his Twitter account yesterday. Carlson was taking a few days off after his split from Fox. Here's what he had to say. The undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Carlson says meaningful debate is not permitted in American media and that he feels is like the U.S. is starting to look like a one-party state. He ended his monologue by asking, where can you still find Americans saying true things? And on that note, Twitter owner Elon Musk suggested Carlson take advantage of Twitter's new monetization features early this week. Musk says Twitter's subscription service allows content creators to prosper while not applying censorship that goes beyond the law. Yes, and coming up, federal prosecutors say a Fuji rapper was up to more than just winning Grammys and making hit records. The performer was convicted for working on behalf of the Chinese regime and more. 
China proposes a deal with the Taliban to gain access to Afghanistan's lithium reserves. Why is the communist regime trying to secure the mineral rights? We hear some analysis from a former energy official after the break. Welcome back. We continue with the Midwest. Storms along with snowmelt have caused water levels in the Mississippi River to hit historic highs. The river burst its banks in some communities. Major snowstorms pummeled parts of the western U.S. over the winter. Over 400 miles along the Mississippi are under flood warnings. Minnesota's governor says his state has seen most of the cresting there with no significant damage. Parts of Wisconsin haven't been so lucky. The flooding in some areas is expected to be the worst it's been in 20 years. Streets and parks in Fountain City were swamped. Many communities are digging in and setting up flood barriers. The next major community where the river is expected to crest is La Crosse, Wisconsin. That could happen today. And storms down in Texas and Florida brought down hail the size of golf balls yesterday. In some areas, it was even bigger, closer to the size of tennis balls. Parts of Florida's coast also got the same treatment. The severe storms threatened more than 40 million residents across the south. The storms bring the threat of flash flooding along the Gulf Coast, from the Florida panhandle west to Louisiana. And a Fuji's rapper accused in multi-million dollar political conspiracies that spanned two presidencies was convicted yesterday. The trial included testimony ranging from actor Leonardo DiCaprio to former U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the details. Grammy-winning musical artist Prakazral Praz Michelle was accused of funneling about $2 million from Malaysian financer Joe Lowe to Barack Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. Michelle reportedly received millions of dollars in return. Prosecutors say Michelle masked the source of the funds since federal election law prohibits foreigners from donating to U.S. campaigns. Michelle was also accused of working on behalf of China. Prosecutors say he tried to lobby the U.S. government to send Chinese billionaire and dissident Guo Wengui back to China. A jury found him guilty of all 10 counts, including conspiracy and acting as an unregistered agent of a foreign government. The defense argued Michelle simply wanted to make money. They claim he got bad legal advice as he reinvented himself in the world of politics. Michelle says Lowe wanted a picture with Obama in 2012 and was willing to pay millions of dollars to get it. Michelle agreed to help and says he used some of the money he got to pay for friends to attend fundraising events. Jolo is now an international fugitive. He is wanted for a scheme that allegedly pilfered billions from the Malaysian state investment fund known as 1MDB. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Chinese Communist regime has offered the Taliban $10 billion and a promise to build infrastructure in exchange for access to Afghanistan's lithium reserves. We bring in an expert to examine the motivation behind this deal, considering a few things. One is that there are cheaper ways for China to get lithium, for example, from Chile. On top of that, a previous attempt by China on a copper mine deal never led to a successful mining operation due to insurgency and logistics difficulties. And there's uncertainty about whether Afghanistan's lithium resources can actually be extracted profitably. Have a listen. Joining me now is Bart Marcois, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of International Affairs at the U.S. Energy Department. Bart, it is great having you with us today. 
Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. Yes, and given the context that we mentioned, what do you suspect is the real reason behind this proposed deal between China and the Taliban? Is it about lithium or for the chance for China to infiltrate Afghanistan with its Belt and Road Initiative? Oh, it's both. Um, lithium is the most expensive mineral in the world, or one of the most expensive minerals in the world these days. Biden made it that way by limiting our production of energy resources here at home. We can't drill for oil. We can't produce gas or coal. And that makes batteries, the, this whole conversion to an electric, all-electric uh, uh, economy requires a massive expenditure on batteries for everything from your iPhone to your Tesla to to uh, you know the the grid backup for a lot of people and lithium is the the absolutely essential mineral to make batteries china is locking up the lithium supply all around the world and they have been for the last 15 years that's what the belt and road initiative is about is to lock up strategic minerals and they are doing this deal not so much they don't care if they never develop the lithium they just don't want anyone else to develop the lithium as long as they have the rights then their lithium they can charge whatever they want for the lithium they're already producing how could china's deal offered the taliban affect the u.s in terms of dependence on china supply chains and in areas like ev market competition great question it means that we are even more dependent on China than we already are. We cannot develop, you can't develop solar energy without lithium. You can't develop solar energy without China. Almost every single solar cell produced in the world is produced in China. No matter where the panels are assembled, they rely on cells that are produced in China because China has locked up the strategic minerals necessary to make them. Lithium doesn't exist in rich veins or seams like, like gold or coal. You can't dig a tunnel and isolate the lithium. You have to strip mine it. And for China, they don't care. They, they literally will cut off the top of a mountain. They'll process every bucket full of dirt through a harsh chemical process. And then they just dump this, this scorched dirt back in huge piles leaving landscape looking like you know mordor they they'll they'll blast it with western methods developing lithium is expensive and difficult with strip mining you know it's just a matter of stripping it out uh, running it through the process and collecting the lithium very interesting perspective bart marcois former deputy assistant secretary of international affairs of the energy department Thank you so much for your analysis. Thank you. Still to come, almost 10 years in the making, the American Museum of Natural History in New York will open up its new building next week. We take you on a tour. Welcome back. The American Museum of Natural History in New York will open up its new building next week. It's a sweeping piece of architecture designed to connect different parts of the campus and connect visitors with their place in the natural world. Let's take a look. The Richard Gilder Center for Science, Education and Innovation has been nearly a decade in the making and cost $465 million to build. I hope it is a something which actually both makes the, the city proud in terms of a new 
uh, important architectural uh, icon within the city, but that also provides a place for visitors uh, and school students to uh, engage with the wonder of science. As the Gilder Center prepares to open its doors to the public, it's already created a home for more than half a million tiny residents. The center features a new insect exhibition with 18 species of live critters and a vivarium where visitors can mingle with hundreds of moths and butterflies. Tiny ants march along a glass bridge over people's heads. The museum shipped in around 500,000 leafcutter ants to build their colony in the insectarium. More than four million specimens from the museum's collections are now being housed in the Gilder Center, some of which are on display in big glass windows across the building. Visitors can enjoy interactive shows and discover the collection's core that shows off a wide range of the museum's items. From megalodon teeth to Mayan bricks to spools of spider silk, the center is set to open to the public next Thursday. Did you know, Kevin, that even the building's curves and of the architecture is actually inspired by canyons and caves in the West? Oh, man, that's so cool. Well, you know, I actually studied geology, so I can appreciate that. Wow, very cool. What did you think of the piece? Oh, I thought it was great. Did you ever do, like, an insect assignment where you had to get those Like, yes bugs? and no. I live next to a monarch butterfly grove, so sometimes I'd take care of them. Oh, really? Okay. So what did you do, like... You'd like give them little honey water to feed them. <laughs> so caring of you, Tiff. That's great. Well, that's all from us on today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. Tiffany Meyer. And I'm Kevin Hogan.